right, let's sit down and get in the Word. Everybody open your Bible, say Word. All right, just want to remind you, end of your giving, it's time to bust out those big checks. I know you've been waiting all year, uh, but I want to encourage you, as we're giving our gifts, let's give our gifts also to the church. Uh, as we approach 2022, uh, we've got a lot of great things to do and some great ministry to undertake, and uh, your faithful generosity is, is going to really help us as a body of uh, believers to do that. Um, also, uh, want to encourage you to get plugged in and uh, really put down some deep roots uh, here in your church. It's just so good for you spiritually and good for your family. So, um, I don't know if you've ever built a piece of furniture. Um, you know, like, I'm not talking like Amish build a piece of furniture like from scratch or a single piece of driftwood. I'm like talking like uh, you pick up a box like at Ikea uh, and you, uh, you take it home. Uh, kind of build a furniture, uh, piece of furniture, and, and I've done this many times, and we've bought all kinds of stuff from Ikea and like it, and you know, you open that box, and you, you kind of move all that styrofoam inner stuff, and you got that bag of pieces, and you're like, oh, that's a lot of pieces, and um, you set that aside, and you, you pull out all, all the stuff that's in the box, and, and, and invariably, you go to the instructions, right? Like, you, you build with the instructions. And, and what's so great about this is when you do that, you get things like that. You get a chair. You're like, well, I built that. Well, I mean, I put it together. I assembled it. But nonetheless. Now, what would happen? Uh, said box, open, styrofoam over, bag. Well, that's a lot of pieces. And you decide not to use the instructions. What are you going to end up with? Well, maybe something looks like that. <laughs> It's a chair thing and, and really serves no purpose other than saying, I didn't use the instructions. Well, you know, when it comes to our lives, uh, we've been given some really great, good, godly instructions in the scriptures of how we are to live our life, Holy Spirit-filled lives. And, you know, if we apply those instructions to our lives and we seek to live out what the scriptures teach, you know, we're going to live a very purposeful life. And we'll be able to put our heads down on our pillows at night and feel like, wow, you know, I've really tried to live out my faith today. And you string enough of those days together, well, gosh, you put together a life. And uh, that's a pretty sweet life. Now, I very rarely, if, oh, I've never heard it. I've never heard a person who's, who's lived their life for Christ and, and, and perfectly get to the end of their days going, sure, wish I, I, shouldn't, I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. They're always like, I wish I had, I had served just a little bit more. But if we don't live according to the instructions, we don't try to live it out, what actually happens is our lives become a dizzying and dysfunctional disaster. And boy, don't we see that uh, showing up all over the place. Well, there's two relationships in this life that really matter, and, and I, I pray that we grab a hold of those relationships and we, we hold tight. And our first relationship is our relationship with God. There, there is no more important relationship than we're going to have on earth than our relationship with God, to love him with all that we are. Well, second to that is, is our relationship with everyone else. Did you know that that's what the Bible boils down to? Our relationship with God and, and others. And we could put self in there, God, self, and others, but sometimes we elevate self a little too much. And so really, let's focus on God and others. How do we have a right relationship? And, and that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And as, as we turn back to the Sermon on the Mount, so we're in Matthew chapter 5, so turn there in your Bible. <laughs> Word. Uh, we're picking up midstream uh, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and, and there, there's a real distinct shift uh, in the text where, where Jesus then begins to focus on, like, law, the laws of the kingdom of God and how we live out this right relationship. And, 
And what Jesus is showing us and has been showing us, the first one is how to have a right relationship with God. We see this in Matthew 5, verse 20. Oh, and being passed out right now are our sermon buddies. Um, This will help you uh, go through the message this morning. Thank you, guest services. I appreciate you. How to have a right relationship with God. Yeah, that's right, Mary. Uh, Well, Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter what? The kingdom of heaven. You will never enter into heaven. And and as I read that, I mean, it must have been shocking to Jesus' original hearers because what it's essentially saying is that the scribes and the Pharisees weren't righteous enough. And that's bananas because they were like considered the most righteous and the most religious people of the day. And then I imagine Jesus' original hearers would have thought, well, I I don't stand a chance. Because if I've got to be more quote-unquote righteous than those righteous people, then there's no way I'm going to be good enough to enter into heaven. That's why it's so important that Jesus began with the Beatitudes because he gave us the key into the kingdom. Matthew 5, 3, blessed. Blessed are the poor in what? Spirit. Yeah, that's right. That is the key. That is the doorway that swings wide. That is a humble posture before God. I am coming to you with no spiritual resume. I I am coming to you spiritually bankrupt. See, when we approach God that way in spiritual bankruptcy, that's when the doorway of the kingdom swings wide. But when we approach God in our own self-sufficiency, which I believe is the greatest illness that is affecting Christians and non-Christians alike, is this self-sufficiency. I've got this. When I take responsibility for my spiritual life and I'm going to make myself righteous, well, then the doorway to the kingdom literally shuts in our face. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, as we go through a cursory reading, really, of Matthew 5, it should reveal very clearly that none of us is righteous in and of ourselves. And in fact, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were just run-of-the-mill sin junkies, just like everyone else, uh, but they were a little bit more polished on the surface. Uh, You can put whipped cream on a turd and call it dessert, Uh, but here's the deal. (laughs) It's still just a turd. And and we can polish everything up in our life, and we can look real, real pretty on the surface, but it's the nasty stuff, the stinky stuff uh, that's beneath the surface. And that was so true of the Pharisees and the religious elite. That's so true today of the religious often. You know, things will look really good on the surface, real polished, but really stinky underneath the surface. So if we can get through chapter 5 of Matthew and, and we think to ourselves, well, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I, I'm actually a pretty righteous person. Well, something's gone wrong. Uh, we've taken a wrong turn somewhere spiritually. And, and if we get through chapter 5 of Matthew and, we're, and all we can see is other people's sin, oh man, what a bummer. Because uh, at that point, we're just suffering from spiritual uh, uh, speck disease, right? Like, we, we, we see the speck in everybody else's eyes. We've got a log sticking out of our own. But really, the point of it all is that we come to a realization that we need Jesus. And that's what Matthew chapter 5 is all about. So Jesus is showing us how to have a right relationship with God that is going to come entirely through faith. But then secondly, how to have a right relationship with others. I don't know if you all agree with this, but life would be really easy if there weren't other people involved, right? I'm like, God, I could live out all this stuff if there just weren't any other people Uh, Well, as followers, we need to know how to handle situations that are common to us all and common to all human relationships. Last week, Adrian Pina did such a phenomenal job of talking about anger and resentment. Didn't he really? Yeah, that's right, Miss Pat. 
And I heard, I heard over and over and over again, wow, what a powerful message. Wow, what a powerful message. What you were actually saying is the Lord's doing a work in my heart. <laughs> and uh, isn't it true that the Lord just starts to do stuff in our hearts that we would not naturally do on our own, right? And he, he does such a, a, a gentle work. Well, uh, here this week, we're going to be talking about lust and adultery, <laughs> which is always a favorite topic during the Christmas season. <laughs> That gives us all the warm fuzzies. I was thinking about that. I was like, what an odd passage uh, to be covering. But I I think here's the deal. I believe we all need this message. But I'm going to say up front, uh, I'm going to be very honest uh, this morning. And so if you're sensitive to a topic of adultery and lust and even divorce, I I just want to encourage you. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. If you feel like it may be a little advanced for your child, I've given you fair warning. (laughs) Uh, But Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. And by the way, it's not going to be, I don't know what I was trying to say with that, but I I just wanted to let you know up front, we're going to talk about some really specific things. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit what? Adultery. There Jesus is quoting here the seventh commandment. So he's quoting directly from the, the Ten Commandments. And you'll notice that he begins each section through Matthew chapter 5 with a very similar statement. You have heard that it was said. What is he referencing there? Well, he was referencing the common rabbinic teaching uh, of the day, but he was also referencing, hey, this is from the scripture. Uh, this particular uh, text he's quoting, again, out of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but listen to this. What is adultery? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed what with her in his heart? Adultery, yeah. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Whoa. Right? Uh, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That's heavy language, isn't it? Yeah. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. I mean, this is very strong language. And I think each one of us are interacting uh, from different vantage points of a passage like this. But there's four words and really phrases that jump out at me that are highlighted just by the nature of repetition. The first is adultery. So I'm going to define some of these terms biblically as, as we go through. First, adultery is a physical, and we need to hold on to this. It's also an emotional relationship with a person who is not your spouse. This is lingering long over a cup of coffee with a person who's not your spouse and, and getting something from that uh, that is unhealthy. Uh, this, is, this is also the physical interaction. Lust is fantasizing a physical or emotional relationship with a person, not your spouse. The, the next phrase that is in the text is sexual immorality. This is including all other sexual activity, including porn and premarital sex and same-sex relationships. We're going to talk about that. Uh, this morning, and then divorce, which is the fracturing, the the death of a marriage. And so it's clear what Jesus is teaching us. Sexual sin will destroy your marriage. Sexual sin will destroy your marriage. Now, it's not the only thing that will destroy a marriage. I think actually 
the greatest destroyer of marriage. Here's an equation. I don't want you to, to forget this. This is really what I think leads to most divorces. Exaggerated and unrealistic expectations plus unresolved resentment equals divorce. I think unrealistic expectations of our spouse and unresolved resentment. I think that's the, the cancer of a marriage. But sexual sin comes in, I believe, at a close second and may actually be driven from that unrealistic expectation and unresolved resentment. Well, here's what the Bible teaches, that sex has been made for marriage. Sex has been made for marriage. That is what the Bible teaches. That sex is to be enjoyed in an exclusive, lifelong, monogamous union between one man and one woman. Now, I realize that that particular definition, that bumps up against cultural definitions of, of what sex is and what marriage is. It, it, in fact, what we're seeing is a redefining uh, of what marriage is and a redefining uh, of what a healthy relationship is. And that's not just happening in our culture. That happens in the church as well. But what this does is, is this is... Is, is showing us that if you spend time with Jesus at all, I mean, you spend any time with him at all, he, he's going to call you in grace on your stuff. He just will. And that's the nature of a relationship with a holy God. Uh, the more time we rub shoulders with him, the more our sin is exposed and the more that we recognize our need of salvation and grace. Well, here's the deal. I love race cars. Anybody love a race car? Yeah, man, I love race cars. I love the roar of the motor. I love the smell of burning fuel. I love the smell of fuel. I, I just love it. I'm kind of a motorhead that way. I remember the first time I went to a NASCAR event. I remember thinking to myself, ah, they only turn left. I mean, is that right? They only turn left? I'm like, how cool is that? But I remember getting down on the track, and it was deafening, and I was like, <laughs> like they're just blowing by, and I just love it, you know, and I I love watching it, and, and I just kind of grunt, ha, 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 like when I see a, a hood open or like a motor revving. And, well, here's the thing. Uh, race cars are awesome. <laughs> they really are. And when they're on a track, they are awesome to watch. But it's all about context. You see, within the context of a race, on a track, a race car is an awesome thing. But that same race car on regular streets, it is dangerous illegal and even deadly well just like a race car i want to say right up front marriage is awesome sex and marriage is awesome but sex is for the marriage i want to encourage you in this uh, sex is a gift of god it's been given for divine gracious purposes through sex comes greater marital intimacy like it it's so hard when i hear of couples will they'll go long extended periods of time without sexual intimacy Oh, that's so hard on your marriage. So hard in the relationship. You have that physical experience of one flesh. Sex and marriage should be spicy. It should be fun and enjoyed often. And so I want to encourage you, married couples, enjoy sex. I know my kids are just enjoying me talking about sex. <laughs> At home, oh, they hate it. Because we have a pretty good sex life, right?
Right, kids? <laughs> well, sex is awesome. But outside of marriage, sex is dangerous and wrong and really even deadly. Uh, it can straight up destroy your marriage. It can straight up destroy your marriage today and your marriage in the future. Quoting from the Ten Commandments, again, Jesus declares, you shall not commit adultery. I imagine Jesus had his audience at that very moment. Because they would have been like, what is he going to say next? What is his teaching going to be? Well, we come to discover that adultery itself, it's not actually the action. It, it, it's really the heart that leads to the action. And, and really, this is what's, what's fascinating is, is it's specific to the married couple. And Jesus is specifically speaking to the husband, to the man in the relationship. But really, he uses language that's kind of all-inclusive. And so this is to the married and the unmarried, to the man or to the woman, to the divorced or the newly married, to the gay and the straight. And we're, we're going to look at this through the lens of this broader context, but then we're going to narrow it down specifically to the marriage relationship. Listen to this. Adultery or any other sexual sin doesn't first take place in the act itself. It always begins in the heart. Matthew 15, 19. Listen to this. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality. You see that? That's where it flows from. Long before there's physical contact, sex is rehearsed in the heart thousands of times. And that's what's happening. In our hearts and our minds, sex is being rehearsed. Now, what's the, the common rabbinic teaching of the day was that adultery was only the physical act. And, and Jesus is really going to argue that it's not just the physical act. It's what happens beneath the, the surface in the heart. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, elevating his teaching above that of the rabbis, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. Yeah, so Jesus, as our master teacher, is now elevating his teaching, and we as his followers are now going, okay, how do I live with this, with this teaching? How do I interact with it, and how do I apply it? Well, the language is for everyone. Everyone who does this is guilty of that. And when I read that, I think everyone's done this, right? I, I don't think that there is a person on earth after a certain age that has not at some point in time looked at another person and then fantasized about them. But Jesus is now unlocking the deep recesses of the heart. And there's only two people, by the way, in this world who know what happened, what's happening in your heart. Uh, you and God. Well, unless you post it on Facebook. And, and sometimes I wonder, I'm like, don't, why are you posting that? You ever read a post and you're like, that's not the place for that. <laughs> I think you need a counselor. But really, only two people on earth. And so really, this is not about the person sitting next to you, and this is, this is not about anyone else in the room. This is just between you and the Lord. What's, what's happening in the heart? What's happening beneath the surface? But, well, here's what, here's what Jesus is showing us. What happens in our hearts affects the way we look at the world. You see, Jesus references looking. And I want to say right up front, it's not wrong for a man to look at a woman, nor for a woman to look at a man. This is not like, hey, just walk around like this all the time. I mean, that would be so bizarre. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to be a faithful Christian. 
right? It's not wrong to see somebody and, and be able to recognize, well, that, that person is attractive. Well, here's the deal. Uh, when looking isn't sin, when we see that person as a son or daughter of God, yo, listen to that. When I look at a person as a son or daughter of God, a fellow brother or sister in Christ or a person for whom Christ died, if I can view people that way, boy, I'm looking through Jesus' eyes, aren't I? Yeah, you see, Jesus could look at any person and he could see them as a son or daughter of God. He could see them as a person for whom he was going to suffer and die. And that meant every single person he could look at, he could look at with a pure heart. They weren't objects for his use. Well, when looking becomes sin is when we see that person who is not our spouse is an object of sexual pleasure. As an object of sexual pleasure. That's what Jesus means by lustful intent. That's essentially going around and taking mental photos, right, guys? Like walking around like, snap, 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 snap. Oh, I'm going to use that later. And it's not just a man's issue, is it? Women, you do that too. Walking around, taking mental photos to, to then think about this, this person. Fantasizing what we don't have. Here, here's something you need to hold on to. Lust is an insatiable illness. Lust is an insatiable illness. And what I mean by that, insatiable, it's never satisfied. You can never feed lust and expect it to die. It only grows. Lust is insatiable. You can't cure it by feeding it. That is the awful reality of pornography. Pornography is one of the most destructive things that's happening in the culture and in the church. And, and as Americans, we can't stop looking. This, some of these statistics just blew my mind this week as I was looking at 35% of all downloads... Like, every download, I don't know how they track all the downloads on the internet or whatever. Really smart people do this. But somehow, they're able to ascertain that 35% of all downloads that are happening are pornographic in nature. It's estimated that 80-plus percent of adult men and 30% of adult women either routinely or have looked at porn. That's a huge number. And then looking at the church, 65% of men are estimated to, and 15% of women say that they watch porn at least once a month. And, and, I, and I'm looking at those numbers, I'm like, that's staggering. And, and here's, the, here's the really troubling statistic, youth. It's actually higher with you. You're actually being targeted. Um, you're being targeted with distorted sex. And you don't realize what's actually happening. It, it, it's intentional. It's, it's going to destroy your future marriage. See, this is what porn does. It, it convinces us that sex is supposed to be a certain thing in a certain way. And, and the physical intimacy will never match that. Because God glorifying sex, it's not about feeding lust. It's about intimacy with another person. The true beauty of sex is that deep, abiding intimacy that is expressed between a husband and a wife. And just like everything, uh, sin distorts good things that God gives us. Sex is a good thing, but it's distorted by sin. And we come to discover, actually, pornography is more like a drug. Uh, Americans and Christians are hooked. It's killing our marriages and our children, uh, killing our future marriages. It distorts sex in such a way that we can never find joy in God-glorifying sex. 
But it doesn't have to be porn. It, maybe it could be social media. It could be all sorts of things. And, and, and really, if we, we can't stop looking, the problem is our hearts. If we can't stop looking, the problems are hard. It's troubling, too, in movies. Uh, you know, it's like the one thing that, that is constant in movies, right? There's just sexual content and, and, and nudity. And here's what's disturbing. I heard, a, I heard a pastor say this one time, and I never forgot it. He said that you can fake everything in a movie. Like, if you see somebody, like, get shot or murdered or whatever, you know that didn't really take place. Uh, unless you're—well, uh, it did, actually, on the set of that one movie. Anyway, um, that was a crazy story. Uh, but it doesn't actually happen, right? But nudity can't be faked. You're actually seeing that person's naked body. That's not for your eyes. That's not for my eyes. That is something that is only to be shared within the intimacy of a marriage. If we can't stop looking, the problem is our hearts. And I'm, I'm going to say right now, we can blame the movies, we can blame culture, but here's the deal. It's not the cookie's fault you can't stop eating. Stupid cookie! Yeah, I'm sure it's the cookie's fault. You should have seen that cupcake. I couldn't not eat it. Yes, you can. It was nothing bunt cake. It's got a hole in the middle. It means zero calories. Nom, 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 nom. It's not the cupcake's fault. And here's, here's something that needs to be said. Lust cannot be cured topically. Lust can only be cured from the heart. And adultery is a heart issue. Jesus, in strongly worded, hyperbolic fashion, challenges us to take some radical surgical action. What Jesus is saying is do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to cut this out of your life. Matthew 5, 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. This is hyperbolic language. No, you will not be thrown into hell as a believer because of sexual sin. But your life will become pretty hellish. And the lives of others. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better uh, that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go to hell. I, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, how could we apply it? Maybe I could have set up like eye, eye gouge stations up here <laughs> at the end of the service. Maybe hand saws. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching us to do physical surgery. He's saying, do whatever it takes to address this because it will kill you. And it will kill your marriage. And it's going to kill your relationships. We know that Jesus is definitely not recommending surgery, although uh, we do have some history. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the church father. His name's Origen. He read this particular passage, and he believed that God was telling him to physically castrate himself. So he did. Then discovering that he had misapplied the passage. Uh, I could just imagine that conversation going on between him and his fellow believers. You know, this is what I was thinking about doing. That's why it's so important to have a community of believers around you. 
just talk things through. Jesus isn't talking physical. He's talking the heart. It's not your eye that causes you to sin. It's not your hand that causes you to sin. It's not how that person is dressed that's causing you to sin. Men, stop talking about the yoga pants. That's not the problem. Okay? That's not the issue. Now, daughters of God, just want to encourage you, be kind. And men, you just got to realize that there's some naughty daughters out there. But you don't have to look. And there's some naughty sons, but you don't have to look, ladies. Do whatever it takes to not feed this sin. Get radical because it will kill. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This, is, this was the teaching of the day. For any reason, a man, if he got tired of being married, could write a certificate and hand it to his wife, and they were divorced. And we know from the scriptures, God hates divorce. He hates it. Because it's death. Because when a husband and a wife come together, they become one flesh. And to separate that is to kill something. And so, so Jesus is saying, marriage is so important, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I'm like, yo, that's really strong language. And I recognize that in here, some of us have been divorced, and some of us are contemplating divorce, and, and some of us are, are remarried, and maybe you're on your second or your third marriage, and you're sitting here, and you're like, well, shoot. And I just want to tell you that what Jesus is going to say to you is, okay, start today. Reorient your mind to the kingdom of God. There is grace and there is forgiveness, but now live. Go and sin no more. There's that point where we draw a line and we say, you know what? Yes, I've crossed it and I've spent all this time over here, but you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live life different. So I want to stress, protect your marriage, protect your future marriage. And so I'm going to give us a few applications, and then we're going to say a word of prayer, and, and then we're all going to leave here making, having trouble making eye contact with one another. <laughs> applications, first one, keep your, your car on the track. <laughs> uh, look, I get it. it. It sounds prudish, and some would even argue prejudice. To say that sex is only to be experienced within the context of an exclusive, lifelong, monogamous union between one man and one woman. That is what the Bible does teach. Sex in any other context is sin. It's not a greater sin than any other sin, but for a person who is wanting to live out a growing Christian life, surrendering your sex uh, sexual desires, your, your sex life, surrendering that before the Lord is a part of the equation. And, and I just wanted to say this uh, this morning, because um, I have had people ask me, Chris, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Okay? And, and, and I'm, I'm wanting to be in this relationship. Or I have a son or a daughter who is gay. And, and I just want to say right up front, I have not had that experience. 
Okay, that's not something I struggle with. I have different struggles. But here's what I know. That there is grace, but there is also truth. And my life needs to come under the surrendering of Jesus' teaching. And that means certain things in my life that I am very passionate about and I feel very strongly about. Some of those things have to be surrendered. And no, there's, there's not an easy answer to that one. And the church has done a really crummy job of per- pointing at certain people and saying, you're going to hell. And, and well, here's the reality. The only thing that separates us eternally from a living God is, is refusing to receive Jesus as our Savior. If we refuse to receive Jesus as our Savior, that is rejecting the movement of the Holy Spirit. But I do know that there is grace and there is strength. And the more that we grow spiritually, the more that I learn how to surrender my life, the more we learn to surrender our life, and the more I learn that God's ways are better than mine, even though I don't like it sometimes. You ever just not like the Lord's ways? But we come to discover him. (laughs) But we come to discover when we surrender our life to his ways, wow, there's a fullness there. All right, so second application is this. Do whatever it takes. Pluck it out, cut it off, throw it away, smash the phone, smash the computer, uh, get radical, confess men, bring another man into the situation. Don't do this by yourself. If you keep doing the same things and you keep getting the same results, you got to do something different. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do whatever it takes. Get radical. Just get radical with it. Go to a flip phone. But I want to tell you, the phone's not the problem. Your computer's not the problem. Yoga pants ain't the problem. The problem's the heart. And the Lord wants to do some heart surgery. So take the steps necessary to have that surgery done. Uh, and then I just want to finish off with there is grace. So let's open our, let's turn in our Bibles. I'm going to read a story to you. John chapter 8. And, uh, oh, I just wanted there to be some real, real grace applied here. Because a, a message like this, we could walk out of here feeling pretty darn condemned, can't we? Oh, I sure have blown it. John chapter 8, Starting in verse 1, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Just like he did at the, where we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, you all are sitting, and you're, you're learning from Jesus. How cool is that? Um, and through his word, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman, listen to this, who had been caught in adultery. I mean, she'd been caught in the very act. Where's the man, right? Right, just dragging her through the streets. And threw her in the midst. They said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now on the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? You know, Jesus just taught us that everybody has this in their heart. Isn't it easy to condemn somebody for something that we ourselves struggle with? Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. 
Maybe he began to enumerate the sins of the people that were there. Maybe he began to enumerate the Ten Commandments. We don't know. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, uh, Let him who is out sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He protects her. Because he looked at her, he saw her as a son or as a daughter of God. Yeah. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You know, you hope that sunrises and sunsets will add up to some wisdom. And Jesus was left alone with the woman. What is he going to say, say to her? Jesus stood up, um, woman or daughter, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. You're not condemned, son or daughter of God. But go and sin no more. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for truth, and we thank you for a thick application of grace. Lord, we need both. And so, Lord, we pray that in the coming days that these, these words, this passage of Scripture, these, these teachings, Lord, they'll have their work in our soul, in our heart, in our minds, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our future marriages. And, and that, Lord, there'll be decisions made and, and uh, steps taken. We thank you most importantly, Jesus, for you. That though we sin, we can be forgiven. And so again today, if you have not received Jesus as your Savior and you want to invite Jesus in and you want to ask for forgiveness for your sins, just tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me and you're buried and I believe you've risen. And the Bible says that that's truly your heart's prayer. You've just passed from death to life. Welcome to the family of God. You are not condemned, my friend. So, Lord, I pray that as believers, we would walk out of here knowing that we are not condemned, but we are loved, but we are called to live a life of faithfulness. Give us the strength today. And let me pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together and stretch. Reach your hands to the heavens. Thank you, Jesus. Give him a wave of offering. <laughs> but it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family. Now let's go share that love with the rest of the world. If we have not met, I would love to meet you. I'll be up front. If you want to know more about becoming a believer, I'd love to talk with you. But have a wonderful Sunday.